if you need a laugh here on your behalf it's bad mates are we fighting crime or just wasting time it's bad mates Lunch, boom, crash, kapow, stream a download, holy cow, you can stop listening now to Batmates, because we're Batmates. Hello and welcome to Batmates, the best Batman podcast that you are currently listening to. My name is Becca, and I have no idea who Barry Allen is, or even what he looks like. (laughs) My name is Josh, and... Boy, oh boy, could I go for a big glass of Granny's peach tea. Delicious, refreshing, um, tastes more like asparagus than you'd think it would. <laughs> uh, we are a Batman podcast. We cover Silver Age comics and Silver Age uh, comic villains. A little salty, also. <laughs> this week, we're not talking about a Batman villain, though. We're talking well, about... he is one of Batman's foes. Batman yes. shows up in this comic. Batman is in this comic. We and went directly through, opposes this this person. We went through uh, great pains to make sure we chose a comic that Batman was in a significant amount of. <laughs> and and Lex Luthor was in a significant amount of. I do want to point out, so yeah, we're reading a comic where Lex Luthor shows up. And uh, Lex Luthor does show up in a Batman title in the Silver Age. He only appears in one and for most of it, he's like behind the scenes pulling the strings in a like a Wizard of Oz type way, mm-hmm. where he's he's controlling a giant hand that's committing crimes. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so yeah, we're going over World's Finest number 88 today. Before we get to that, though, would you like to do news? I would. We have just a little bit of news. It seems like I have one news item and then Josh has a news item as well. Um, mine is an audio news item. Mm. Often I, I scrutinize our podcast for the fact that we do talk about a lot of things that are better visually, but today I'm actually doing something that works for a podcast. Mm. Um, so the news that I have is that on Batman Day, um, composer Michael Giacchino shared a video of an orchestra playing a portion of his score for the upcoming The Batman. And I'd like to play that clip for you now and get your thoughts. Okay, so obviously that's only like a 20 to 30 second clip mm-hmm. of what the score is going to be. Mm-hmm. My my first like notes is that it doesn't really go anywhere. Mm-hmm. It it's sort of and I don't know if this is on purpose or not. Like it it I mean of course it's probably on purpose. A composer wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> like a professional one. Uh, but it, it sort of ends on this, uh, like, discordant... Not really discordant, but um, what do you call it? It's like a hanging... It's unresolved. Unresolved chord. That's yeah. what I'm looking for. Yeah. I like the quiet... I like any quiet drums. <laughs> that's always good. It's like, ooh, Batman's stalking his prey with a, like, bomb, bomb, bomb. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like I said, we're going to have to wait until the full thing comes out. So far, doesn't seem 
as iconic as the 89 film. It's got some nods to Elfman in there. I suppose. I suppose. With the the high strings. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting. It's, I mean, it obviously it outlines sort of the tone that they're going for this Batman movie. It's not campy like the 66 television series song. It's, you know, serious and bombastic so you know that you're getting like a real honest to god superhero movie and sweeping yeah it's very sweeping Mm -hmm. was there there was obviously there was music in the dark knight trilogy that also not as iconic as the the elfman scored films i'm trying to honestly think if i can remember any parts of it i know that it like has a theme i just couldn't hum you the theme yeah oh well (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's not fair. The Elfman theme was drilled into our heads with the animated Batman animated series. series. So like, you know, every Batman fan who was alive bum, in the nineties <laughs> can sing that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's bombastic the whole way through. Just, you know, because it was a cartoon intro. Uh, mm-hmm. Although, I, I like the 89's version, too, because that one is, has so, its softer parts. It's got, I think it's got, like, a harp going on Ooh. in it. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. This one sounds interesting. I mean, it doesn't sound like a bad piece of music. Yeah, it got me kind of hype listening yeah. to it. And then, so our next piece of news, not really a piece of news, I just wanted to remind our listeners that the Wayne Family Adventures webtoon is still running, and it's still a delightful romp. Do you have to pay for it yet? No, no, no. So the whole thing was that if you, it's only if you want to get access to comics before their, like, Thursday release date. Oh. So, yeah. Who would need that? You can pay mm-hmm. for, like, the next four comics if you just can't wait to read them. Okay. You get, you know, it's basically, you get them dropped like a month in advance. Oh, okay. For you. I guess if, if that's what you want to spend your money on, sure. <laughs> I spend my money on plenty of frivolous things. There, it's not, it's not expensive because the way that the website works is like you pay for coins and then you can spend those coins on like viewing a comic early hmm. and it's like a dollar or two for like 20 coins and each coin gets you access to a new comic. Oh, so that's actually pretty good. Yeah, deal. it's not a bad deal, but yeah. So anyway, it's, it's delightful. The newest one is, uh, Dick Grayson picks up a bunch of like justice league memorabilia and gives it out to the members of the bat family. And Batman gets very upset that his adoptive children don't uh, idolize him as much as some of the other members of the Justice League. Aw, but he took them in. He's their dad. <laughs> yeah. You don't tell your dad that you, you know, idolize and respect him every day, <laughs> even if it's true. I guess it would be like if your dad, if you were uh, one of um, Mick Foley's kids and you started walking around with like a John Cena t-shirt on. Hmm. It's like that. Well, okay. Here's the thing, though, is that Mick Foley very much so supports other wrestlers and he himself would probably have bought the John Cena shirt. for his his kid and probably has i know he's like he like says he's like women wrestling women women's wrestling's number one fan so he constantly has like you know like a becky lynch Mm t-shirt on or Mm -hmm. charlotte i guess i don't know it's just showing preference for someone who's not you know supposed to be your role model Hmm. well batman's jealous obviously yeah and read it who if you want to see who um who idolizes who 
I'll give away the first one. It's Dick Grayson. Uh, he idolizes Superman, which yeah. makes a ton of sense when you realize that like his Nightwing personality is based on a Kryptonian superhero that he heard Superman talk about once. Mm-hmm. I want to guess. Okay. Who idolizes okay. who? Okay. okay. So Jason. We're giving away spoilers for the comic here. Okay. Yeah, J- uh, it does Jason, Duke, and uh, Stephanie Brown. Okay. Oh, and, and Barbara, too. Barbara? Okay. So Jason, is it just, like, the main core Justice League? It's yeah. It's not, like, anybody from, like, Justice League Unlimited? No, it's no, not, no. It's not, like, no. Hawk Girl? No, 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 no. Okay. It's, like, the main, yeah, it's, like, the founding members. Okay, let me think. Jason would idolize, mm, who's the bad boy of the Justice League? I want to say Aquaman? You've got it wrong. Oh, man. No, Wonder Woman. Oh, okay, because he's a perv. <laughs> I got it. Okay. Uh, and Stephanie Brown, mm-hmm. the spoiler, she would idolize Martian Manhunter. Nope. Okay. Um, who's the other one that I was thinking of that, that is in a Duke? Um, yeah. Duke would idolize Green Lantern. No. Actually, okay, flip those then. Okay. Uh, Duke would idolize Martian Manhunter. Stephanie would idolize Green Lantern. No. Okay. No. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, well, read the comic then. I guess I didn't spoil anything. Uh, I honestly, I thought that the, so I thought that the comic was going to end with um, with Damien, because I thought it was going to be like all the other members of the Bat family, like all the other different members, and then like Damien would have like a Batman t-shirt on. That would have been a cute ending, but that's not what it is. No. Damien's never cute. <laughs> He's always cute. A little rascal. Damien doesn't love his father, but he does respect him. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and also his grandfather, too. Yes, sadly. <laughs> okay, yeah, so let's get drop into the Silver Age comic. This week's is World's Finest, number 88. Superman and Batman's Greatest Foes. Cover date, June 1957. Writer Edmund Hamilton... Penciler Dick Sprang. This is actually like one of the first times that we saw see a Dick Sprang. I think so, yeah. Dick Sprang was famous for his work on like the early Batman comics, and then in the mid fifties he switched to the uh, Superman and Batman comics. Do you think he realized even back then what a hilarious name that was? <laughs> or was he like, whatever? I mean he must have had people like when he introduced people, he was like, You can call me Dick, right? Otherwise, he would just would have gone as, like, Richard. But his name is Dick Sprang. Like, am I... Like, am I alone here? No. (laughs) Is that not a hilarious name? It is a hilarious name. And his art style is a hilarious art style. It is. It's great. He's great. He's, like, one of the pencilers that always gets pointed to when people want to talk about, like, the ridiculous giant contraptions that were, like part of the silver age i feel like nobody draws the joker's face yes like Dick Sprang exactly does. yeah it's like rubbery it's yeah. it's great it's sharp uh-huh but like not in a intimidating alan moore type way. no no it's it's more like he's he constantly has a look of like scheming which is exactly what the joker is mm-hmm. i guess brian boland he's the one who drew the killing joke alan moore doesn't draw <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah 
So our title panel is Joker and Luther tearing down the road in the Joker mobile, which is Joker's car that looks like him. Uh, Batman, Robin, and Superman are on looking and saying, the Joker and Luther are working together now, and yet we can't stop them. Honestly, it's a beautiful car. If you're going to have a car, it should have your face on it. (laughs) (laughs) Just so people know that it's you zooming down the street like that. Yeah, so the bottom half is a 50 sedan. The top half is just sort of like a glass bubble Mm -hmm. with a J on it. And then the the front of the car has a giant Joker face. (laughs) It's gorgeous. It's perfect. You know what it reminds me of? Um, there's these like little, uh, like baby roller coasters that look like trains, but they have faces on the front and Mm. it looks like that face on the front of the Joker mobile. It's like Thomas the Tank Engine. (laughs) A little bit. You know what it doesn't have? What's that? It doesn't have, um, like sun visors. (laughs) So if it's a really sunny day, they're... They also must be cooking in there. I mean, maybe the car has air conditioning, but like... The windows do not roll down. No, they don't. They do not. It's got like portholes on the side, but I don't think that they roll down. And do you notice little upside down clubs on the front to show he's wacky? Yeah. Oh, I thought they were supposed to sort of represent tears. Like, you know how clowns are synonymous with like teardrops underneath the eyes? No, it's... See, see he's Joker because like playing cards. Okay, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's what it's supposed to be. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. So our story opens on Metropolis Hall, where Lex Luthor and Joker are applying for a business license, claiming to have gone honest. At the Daily Planet, Perry White receives a tip from one of their field reporters of the situation unfolding at City Hall. So Lois Lane and Clark Kent go to investigate, where they find Lex Luthor telling the press that he and Joker will be demonstrating a new invention that they are manufacturing. Joker and Luther then speed away on the Joker mobile, but Clark overhears them saying that Batman and Superman may be interested in their new career and that they are in for a surprise. More like super eavesdropping. Very rude, Clark. <laughs> How often do you think he uses that? Or is it just something he can't block out and he's just always hearing conversations he shouldn't hear? Um, I think it's something that he sort of has to consciously tune into. It's like when you're at a big party, because he has super hearing, so he can hear like a bunch of different stuff. But it's like when you're at a party and you're sort of sitting like a table away from somebody and you're you're listening to like their conversation. If you were holding a conversation with other people, you could, tune you could just tune it out. But he's like specifically listening for it. Can I go to a dark place? Okay. Well, not necessarily dark, but What's not that? exactly family friendly. Um... I mean, just think about, like, did Ma and Pa Kent ever get any privacy in that farmhouse (laughs) in the quiet of Kansas with no one around for miles and miles and miles except their son with super hearing? I mean, there is a comic that I just read that had Superman in it. I think, wait, wait, it was the one that you and I started reading, the Superman Smashes the Clan. Oh, yeah. Where it's like Ma and Pa Kent are having, like, a quiet... um, not argument, but like disagreement. Yeah. And he like overhears it. So yeah, I don't think they ever did he, get any privacy. He overhears them talking about how he's an alien before they've like told him. Exactly. Alien. Yeah. Like, oh, I guess that explains it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, in uh, Red Sun, isn't that like a plot point that he can like hear everyone in danger at all times always? Yeah. So yeah. like to go along that same logic, he can hear everyone even if they're not in danger <laughs> at all times always again i'm telling you i think that he maybe if it sounds like they're in danger but they're just really having fun <laughs> i don't think that that i i don't first of all 
this is the Silver Age, so they would never even consider something like that. Yeah. It would be way too scandalous and against the comics code. And secondly, again, I think it's sort of like, you know, when you're... When you're outside and there's like a million different like birds chirping and crickets chirping and stuff, it's like you can tune it all out to focus on the stuff that you need to focus on. Okay. Or like fall asleep even with it happening. Sounds like uh, a hellish life to live. (laughs) Well, Superman of the Silver Age has like all these crazy powers that they don't always give him in like future stuff. Uh, Like telescopic vision uh, hypnosis, like Ooh. he's like constantly hypno- hypnotizing people around him to That's for his uh, Clark Kent uh, costume to work, mm-hmm. and he what is it? He has like precognition too. There's a Silver Age comic where like Perry White is about to call him up, and he's like, "I know that I'm going to get a call, so I'll wake up out of bed and get by the phone." <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least that hypnotizing one, it does sound strange, but it does make a lot more sense than like what it seems to be now, which is like, just for example, Joshua, you're wearing glasses right now. Uh-huh. Can you take them off for me real fast? Yes, yes. Oh my God, who are you? What did you do with my, what did you do with my fiance? What is a change of clothes? See, and here's why the Richard Donner uh, Superman portrayal is the best one, is because- It's the change in posture. It's the change in posture, the change in clothes. It's like everything. The the like making the hair a bit more kempt or whatever. You make some valid points, uh, mysterious stranger, but I'm gonna have to ask you to get out of my apartment, please. <laughs> oh Josh, thank God you're back. <laughs> this crazy man was just here and he was talking to me about Superman. Okay, let's not do the college humor two face bit to all death. Right, all right, all right. <laughs> okay. So after Superman does his eavesdropping, Clark ditches Lois, claiming that he just remembered another assignment and changes out of his reporter's clothes and flies off as Superman to let Batman know of the new criminal partnership. At Wayne Manor, Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson are enjoying the afternoon when the house begins shaking and the two rush to the Batcave where they believe there may be an intruder. Uh, There is an intruder in the form of Superman who has tunneled through the earth and up into the Batcave. The rudeness continues. <laughs> Let me just make a big flipping hole in your floor. Hope you don't mind <laughs> trying to be discreet. And also like, uh, yeah, well, that's right. He claims that he didn't want a chance anyone seeing him enter. And that's why he like tunneled through the earth. I had to bore through this, the center core of the planet. Is that bad? <laughs> it's... Honestly, I mean, Superman from Silver Age is sort of a jerk in all ways. He just, like, does stuff with his superpowers that's, like, you could have you could have done this a better way. He could have flown through, like, whatever cave it is the Batmobile exits from. Well, he would have to open the doors, I guess. Or, you know... Actually, he, you know what? He could just... He could just go up to the front and knock on the door and have Alfred open the door. Well, he didn't want anyone to chance him seeing coming in. You could change... No, he's already changed into a Superman costume. He's got to stay in the Superman costume. He can't put his clothes back on. He was he was Clark a minute ago. Uh-huh. He changed into the Superman costume. So he could fly to, to Gotham. F- to go into the manor. No, to fly to Gotham. Okay, well, just put your coat back on. It doesn't seem like it was all that hard. <laughs> yeah, anyway. So, yeah, the Batcave has a new uh, air vent or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> because of Superman. So after hearing the news, the dynamic duo say that they must come to Metropolis at once, and Superman says that he will take them the fast way. And the very next panel shows Superman carrying the Batmobile, like, up in the air to Metropolis. What's this? 
chicks dig a flying car. <laughs> yeah. This I laughed so hard at this panel, just like when I first saw it. Superman's like, I'll take you the fast way. And it's just him just holding the Batmobile above his head, like flying it in. It's like, you know he has a plane, right? Like, yeah. It's better than him holding both of them in his arms <laughs> by, by the butt, which would be another fast way to do it. Or, it's, or like a person would hold twins, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> like both arms wrapped around in front of them. No, much more cool to fly a car. So they fly back to Metropolis, and there they find Luther and Joker standing outside the new factory, a long windowless building with smokestacks and a big L and J intertwined on the logo on the front. And oh, that's what that is. Yeah, honestly, I had the same... I, so yeah, it's an L and a J, but there's like no differentiating them, so it looks like a weird backwards Y or something. It looks like an unfinished fork. <laughs> Yeah, I honestly, yeah, too. It took me like looking at this panel for a couple of minutes mm -hmm. to actually realize that it was supposed to be their two initials. Okay, very smart. Yeah. So Luther and Joker chat about how a big, how big a joke that this new venture will be on Superman and Batman before the heroes land. Superman attempts to use his X-ray vision to see inside the factory, but finds that it's been lined with lead. And Lex explains that that's because they want to protect their manufacturing processes. Can that be cancerous? Lead? Yeah. No, lead gives you lead poisoning, oh. which is like heavy metal in the blood. That's not good. No. Honestly, I was thinking about this and I was like, the DC universe must have like a lot of people, a lot more people that work with lead, specifically because Luther commissions a bunch of stuff to be lined in lead. Mm. Lead is a very useful substance, though. How do you get lead poisoning? Just by like in inhaling it? Well, uh, yeah, drinking it is what, what you get lead poisoning from because lead can end up in your water supply. Especially if you use lead pipes, which were great in like the Roman times because they didn't rust. But we found out recently that like, you know, lead will poison you. So can't was isn't there a whole thing about like lead in paint? Mm hmm. OK. Lead used to be in paint. And if you would like lick the lead paint, you would uh, you would get lead poisoning. Who's licking paint? Children. Oh, <laughs> just licking the walls. Yeah, and they have a lower tolerance for lead poisoning, and that's why it makes it, like, worse. You know what? One of these days we're going to... I think working with it, too, just, like, touching your, your hands on it, uh, getting it, uh, like, really on your fingers. One of these days we're going to open up the comic book, and there's going to be a PSA that's like, Hey, kids, don't lick paint. <laughs> it's not good. Don't lick the walls. Actually, I don't know. This is 57. I don't know if they made the switch away from lead paint at this point yet or not. Hmm. Okay, I just looked it up, and uh, yes, lead paint did not get outlawed until 1978. So if you had lead paint in your walls, then Superman wouldn't be able to look through your, your house and spy on you like a creeper who's already been listening to you <laughs> in all your intimate moments? I guess so. I, I They don't really explain like the density that the lead needs to be. Like, how thickly lined with lead does something need to be to foil Superman's x-ray vision? Enough for a regular x-ray machine. Oh, okay, so like when you ever gotten an x-ray before and they put yeah. like the lead apron on you? Yeah, they put you? that apron on you, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it has to be as thick as that, I guess. Okay, yeah, I guess so. Well, no, because the x-ray machine can still see through, see it. through it. Yeah. Hmm. So even <laughs> denser than that. And those things are pretty dense. You would need probably an inch to, a, like, two inches thick of lead to actually impair Superman's x-ray vision. Yeah. I know it's, I know it's because... 
you know, they're X-raying people all day rather than just like, you know, once every couple of years. Mm -hmm. But I do love how when you go get an X-ray done, they're like, it's fine. It's totally harmless. You'll be okay. You stand in this room separate from us. They go into a separate room behind like lead lined walls. Shielded glass and stuff. And they're like, you'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) It does seem like they're trying to pull some sort of experiment on you. Yeah, no, but it's just because, you know. They're there every day. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And if they, yeah, you know, it's all, it's all about dosages. It's mm-hmm. all about, you know, if you get a little bit, it's probably not that bad. But if you get a, a, a little bit over a long amount of time, then it's not good for you. You can have a little radiation <laughs> as, as a, a treat. treat. <laughs> yeah. So Lex Luthor wants to protect their trade secrets. And uh, that afternoon, Joker and Lex Luthor show off their new invention. Three workmen exit the factory and begin walking through fire and bending steel girders and lifting large rocks. Lex explains that they are mechanomen that can withstand any amount of heat or pressure and be used for tasks impossible to ordinary workmen. So they're androids? Yeah. Okay. But they're controlled. They, they don't have artificial intelligence. Lex Luthor has a, like a control pad for them. Okay. So why not just make machine parts that can do the work of men? Why go through all the trouble to make them like anatomically correct? <laughs> and more important question, do they have genitals? No, they don't. Because we actually see an uh, unfinished one later on in, in the comic. Mm. Um, but I think the reason to make them look and and move like men is just so they can get and do jobs that men can do typically when you build a machine that's for a specific purpose it's like limited in terms of its mobility in that purpose so if you want to do something that would require more than what the machine was built for you wouldn't be able to they're they're more versatile well okay here's the thing i was thinking of because at first i was like oh these could replace firemen and like you know walk through the fire to like get a person yeah yeah yeah. but then i was like okay but then but then they don't have it seems like the self-awareness of like what can and can't harm a human so i just imagine them like picking up a human and then just walking back through the fire (laughs) with them and being like you're fine you know it's like they're they're controlled by remote though so so that wouldn't happen because they don't have their own intelligence. It's it's Lex Luthor has to control them every time they like move. I see. Okay. Uh, Joker exclaims that they will be selling them as soon as they have tested them completely. Superman and Batman are still suspicious, so they take shifts to go on a 24-hour patrol to watch the two criminals. On Batman's shift, he and Robin find Joker casting a metal net off the side of a building over an unsuspecting passerby. A crowd gathers as the Cape Crusader and Teenage Thunderbolt descend on the Joker. Batman claims that he knew Joker hadn't reformed, but the passerby then rips through the net and Joker explains that he was just carrying out a test on one of the Meccano men. Wow. Joker leaves the scene with a laugh, and Batman and Robin are left behind looking foolish to the onlookers. Well, here's what I didn't like, is okay. that he specifically says, it's only a Mechanoman, I guess we'll have to let him go. Robin says that. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, save the android dynamic duo, this is how dystopias begin. You can't just <laughs> let them be, hu- like, nearly human test subjects. Can't just let them be subjected they don't, to these again, things. They don't have any sort of intelligence to them. They look like they do. They're though. completely remote controlled. But how do we know? But do we really know? <laughs> Is this? Did you write all of your notes or assumed that the androids were artificially intelligent? No. Okay. Later on, on Superman's shift, a pedestrian exclaims that the Joker is going to hit a man on his Joker mobile. Before 
he can, Superman grabs the clown car and pulls it to a stop. He then chastises the Joker for his reckless driving, but Joker explains that he wanted to hit the man because it's one of the Meccano men, and he wanted to see how the car would damage it. Superman claims that he can't stop the Joker because he hasn't broken any law, a claim which I refute because I'm pretty sure it's not legal to perform crash tests on the regular city street. He's also probably speeding. <laughs> yeah, like... You can't do that just in public. You gotta go to a specific test track. Don't they have a gigantic lead-lined factory for these tests? (laughs) Exactly. Mm. Well, we know, and the readers certainly know, (laughs) the readers certainly know that these are all sort of stunts to put in place to make Superman and Batman look bad. But, alas, we still have the third encounter, which is... The next day, Lois Lane sets out to prove that the Lex-Joker partnership is nefarious and tails Luther to a cliff face. There, Luther sets up a gun that shoots electronic bolts at the cliff, causing a rock slide. Lois watches as the boulders fall down on a man at the bottom of the cliff. As Lex rushes to the cliff, Lois uses the gun to shoot a bolt into the sky to alert Superman. Superman sees that bolt, and he and Batman head to Lois's signal. He begins to dig them out and finds that it's another one of Luther's Meccano men. Who could have guessed? Yeah, really. Luther tells Superman that he was only testing the invention's resistance to pressure, and that Superman and Batman simply must stop interfering with his business. Superman starts to chastise Lois for the false alarm, but she cuts him off, saying that she understands that she must stop butting in. I really love this. Lois is like, I know, I'll stop being a local busybody. (laughs) Apologies for my womanly ways. I know, exactly. It's like, yeah, okay. But she was just trying to save a man. It's true. No, no. And and even Superman says something along the lines of like, we can't blame her. She she had no idea that it was the Metallo man. We we didn't or Meccano man. We we don't I want to apologize to the listeners. If I say Metallo again, it's only because there's another Superman villain named Metallo, and I know his name, and it's very easy to get them mixed up. And Lex is his dad. Yes. Also. No, no. No. I told you this. You it's made a, that up? It's a different scientist. Oh, okay. He works with Metallo sometimes to help bring down Superman, but he did not create Metallo. Lex is his stepdad. It was like a different evil scientist. Got it. No, he's a co-worker. Mm, a colleague. A colleague. A, well, usually it's like Lex is asking Metallo to do stuff and offering to pay him, so he's more like a boss. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> the Dark Knight and the Blue Boy Scout confer about how foolish the villains have made them look and decide that the pair must be trying to get them to stop bothering them so they can pull off a big crime. Batman decides that he'll try to see the inside of the factory as Bruce Wayne. Joker and Lex talk in the factory's office, where there is furniture themed to playing cards, a giant rug with a Joker face, and a phone with the Jester atop it, which rings when Bruce Wayne arrives at the factory. He enters the office and tells the two tycoons that he would like to use their Meccano men for a job. Luther says that they won't be renting them out until after tomorrow's big showing. And Bruce says, oh, that's too bad, since he just needed a shipment of diamonds from the ocean floor. Luther asks the location and says that Meccano men can recover them after the big showing. Bruce leaves, having seen only the factory's office and still wondering what Lex and Joker are hiding. 
I want to see a live action remake of this with a, like a realistic Batman take, mm-hmm. like like Nolan or Snyder, where Batman uh, Bruce Wayne visits a man with clown makeup and a literal mad scientist in order to pretend that he wants to buy their robot men. Mm. Could you imagine like a serious with like a serious interpretation with this sort of storyline? Well, we have kind of a similar scene in Batman Returns, where the, our favorite scene where he meets with Max Shrek. That's true because. Max Shrek looks like Lex, and he, Christopher Walken plays him like he's the Joker. <laughs> so it is sort of that scene of Bruce Wayne trying to do business and, you know, being like, I had this report commission and throwing him at the villain. Yeah. And the villain's like, Bruce, <laughs> too much power. No such thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, I guess he's so. so he's not really there to, like, glean information, though. No. In that scene. He's just sort of there to like talk with Max. And I guess he is trying to figure he out. He is like, trying to figure out if Max is with the Penguin. Because he says that Penguin's in charge of the Triad gang. Yeah, or whatever. yeah. Well, he, know, he knows that he's working with the Penguin. Yeah. He's, he's there to try and figure out like what the deeper meaning behind the power plant is. Mm. Which he doesn't actually get the information for. No, he gets distracted by Selena. Yeah. <laughs> Batman and Robin stake out the beach near where Bruce told Luther the diamonds were, knowing that the criminal duo would attempt to grab the diamonds for themselves. There are no diamonds, and the whole scenario is a setup, with Superman lurking at the seafloor to replace one of the Meccano men. I would really love Aquaman to like, like <laughs> swim up and be like, oh, hey Clark, what are you doing? He'd be like, get away, get, get away. away. <laughs> I'm gonna stake out. <laughs> anyway, I think Superman needs to go undercover more often. Yeah? Yeah. Why's that? Um, I mean, he goes undercover as Clark, the reporter, all the time. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just a cool... It's a cool way to do it. That's not just the brute force punching thing. Yeah. Did you already say he, he's dressed as one of the Meccano men? Well, I said he was waiting beneath the sea surface to, like, replace them. Yeah. So, yeah, he's dressed like them. Well, okay. So, do all the Meccano men look like him? Or <laughs> also, do they, or do they all look different? And if so, what's the point of that? <laughs> or is Superman just really nondescript? Or is he just doing that face vibration well, thing? Like I said, yeah, if if the there's like a comic from it's either like the late sixties or somewhere in the like the mid seventies where Superman like realizes that he's constantly giving off like a low level hypnosis that makes people not recognize him as Superman when he puts on his Clark Kent glasses. So it's possible that like he's also still doing that in this comic where he's like giving low-level hypnosis to lex and joker that's wild no the way i see it there's two possibilities okay one is that all of the mechano men look like him the other (laughs) one is i like that theory because it ties in with like lex's just uh obsession obsession with superman well the other thing is that they all look different for reasons that no one can comprehend well so you can give them different names like that one's freddy that one's otto this one is uh, the amazing Metallo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So you don't, there's no like serial numbers. You don't have to come up with like A1, B1, that sort of deal. Okay. Just, you know, just call them by a, a regular human name because they all look different. <clears throat> Finding no diamonds, Lex recalls the Meccano men to his truck and Superman is in disguise and is able to infiltrate the factory floor. He looks around, attempting to see what kind of dastardly plan the two are cooking up, but he can't see anything. Joker notices that one of the Meccano men's heads is moving, and the two begin hammering and chiseling at the line of robots. 
That would be such a creepy scene if it was like an iRobot type movie. <laughs> like just a big, actually that might even be a scene in iRobot. Just looking down at like a, a big line, a long of, line androids. of androids and you see just one of them just really quickly like turn their head to face front again. <laughs> creepy. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So they begin hammering and chiseling the robots. Superman believes that he's tricked them with his invulnerability. But in private, the two share that they know that Superman is among the Meccano men because Joker's special drill that would dent any metal, uh, like, doesn't chisel him. This other panel also where they're chiseling him does answer my question that, yes, all the Meccano men look exactly like Clark Kent or <laughs> Superman without his with his... Without his glasses. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's just a subconscious thing for Maybe. Lex. Yeah. A psychosexual thing, perhaps. <laughs> the two come up with a scheme to fool Superman once more. The two criminals bring the robots to an alley behind some office buildings and have them break a hole in the wall to get to a safe inside. Superman reveals himself and Batman and Robin descend onto the scene. But Lex reveals that he had bought the safe and he has permission to open the wall to get to it. Hmm. The heroes, once more embarrassed, Batman asks Superman if there wasn't anything suspicious in the factory. Just like make sure. Do you remember anything? And Superman then remembers that the criminals were talking next to an extra set of clothes. And he then deduces their next move. Superman and Batman attend the big showing at the stadium for the feats of the Meccano Men. I really like this panel showing what the Meccano Men can do. Mm -hmm. um, bending girders and lifting giant boulders above their heads while standing in fire. <laughs> Don't worry. They I mean, can do it all. I mean, that's what they did the first time when they showed them off. But the first time they showed them walking through fire and then like... And then bending afterwards. stuff. But they can do it all at once. Okay. <laughs> they are apparently flame retardant, which... To me, means they're probably stuffed with asbestos, and you maybe don't want to buy those. Yeah. Oh, uh, this is before the ban on asbestos. So, Lex and Joker watch the event from the factory, having used McCowman doubles to attend the event. Whoa! They then set off to rob the sub-treasury, which I guess is located in Metropolis, which uh, is not a underwater bank it is a local branch of the u.s treasury haha -ha. <laughs> uh the cape do-gooders are distracted by their doubles so they believe that they can get away with this but as the meccano men burst open the treasury gate batman and superman show up to apprehend the criminals having guessed their plan from the start the heroes had sent their own mechanical doubles to the stadium this is such a classic switcheroo, and they don't know it, but also everyone else at that stadium was also a Meccano man that the citizens of Gotham all sent in their places. Because, <laughs> like, they wanted to seem interested, but, like, they had jobs to do. It's just a stadium full of Meccano men, and soon they'll all realize, and then they'll take over Gotham. Uh, Superman lassos the Meccano man with a chain and the dynamic duo Assault, Lex, and Joker. Finally... The former business partners become cellmates and argue over whose fault it is that they got caught. Mm, I'm going to say this reeks of like a Lex plan. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. No. Joker, Joker... Joker came up with the distractions. Mm -hmm. Lex is the one that came up with the switcheroo double. Yeah. Joker's would have been a lot more flashy, I feel. <laughs> He would have also maybe, well, at least modern day Joker would have had some sort of like kill switch where he was able to have the Meccano men just start assassinating people in the stadium. Like killing everybody in the stadium. Yeah, for no reason. <laughs> 
Honestly, though, okay. Yes, they wanted to rob the treasury. They also probably could have made a ton of money with these Mechano men. Yeah, it's not They're a bad idea. Incredibly versatile. They can do so many things. Mm -hmm. They could mine without putting real men in danger. Uh, they could walk across the seafloor. Uh, like, it's insane that what, how much can, money they would have been able to make with these things. Can you imagine if instead of like big polluting ocean liners? We instead just had like mechano men. You got two. You get two of them, and they just hold on to like the big shipping crates and just walk across the ocean floor. <laughs> as long as whatever you're shipping doesn't uh, need to be waterproof, I guess. Yeah, that's no, fine. Or you'd have to. Well, no, because would they be able to hold it down? I guess it depends on how heavy each mechano man weighs. Yeah. I was also, I thought you were going to say, instead of like powered ocean liners, they just get a bunch of mechanical men to walk across the ocean floor pulling ropes that are attached to each boat. I guess you could do that too. All I'm saying is it would save emissions. I guess. We're never told what the power source behind these mechano men are. Obviously it's asbestos. <laughs> I don't think that that has fuel power. Mm -hmm. Uh, okay, before we get to Lex Luthor's Rogue Roundup, I wanted to cover on just uh, some of the other stuff that was in this comic. Uh, we did get another advertisement for Cloverine Salve. There's an ad for uh, the Winchester Super Ski Speed Skates, and this is another like comic that they put together to try to convince kids to buy their roller skates. In this one, a kid skates to a payphone to call an ambulance for a woman in labor, and then the woman names her twins Wings and Winnie Jr. after the local roller skate kids. <laughs> Strange. There's like a doctor who comes out and he's like, thanks for calling the ambulance. The woman named her children after you. Can you imagine the father showing up and being like, honey, what the, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, why? Why did you do this? That's why Josh and I have already decided on our child's name well mm. in advance. So that I don't make some epidural fueled horrible <laughs> decision. I'm going to name him Lycanthrope. <laughs> Every time somebody I know has a kid, and if you're listening to this and you've had a kid and you know me. I'm talking about you. <laughs> I absolutely always judge their kids' names and think that they're not good. <laughs> I'm not going to name those names. A few of them have okay names. You just want to put people on notice yeah. for the stupid names they give their kids. If you give your kid a name that I have never heard before, I immediately <laughs> hate your kid and also you by extension and we're not friends anymore. There's also a PSA that encourages people to join volunteer groups where uh, a girl confuses, uh, she thinks her boyfriend is cheating on her and he says, because he says he has a date with Effie and he's just talking about like an efficient machine that they have at the hospital. Uh, so anyway, yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about that was in this comic. Great. So let's talk about Lex Luthor. Now, before I begin, I do want to say that Lex has an incredibly long and storied history in the comics and to do a full overview of like every important Lex Luthor moment would probably take about two hours <laughs> so I scaled this down by a lot yeah I mean he was introduced like back when Batman was introduced he was introduced in like the 40s or something yeah. so he has over 70 or 80 years of history to cover yeah and i know we've you know covered heavy hitters on this show before but you know we just can't go into the backstory of of somebody that deep and detailed yeah i mean he's like one of the major villains even our like even our joker episode we sort of just skimmed the surface of stuff that happened with joker yeah. especially because you know there's plenty more 
episodes that we can have the future Joker like this one. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, oh, you know what? I wanted to point out, I don't think I did at the beginning of the comic, is that this is the the one that we just read, the first supervillain team up between Lex Luthor and the Joker. Oh, cool. Yeah. I know there was one other that we were debating. Yes. Showing. Is there more team ups between Joker and Lex Luthor? Yeah. Yeah. They they team up pretty frequently, especially in World's Finest and uh, especially, you know, in later comics. Mm. Uh, They team up in the, uh, what is it? The Justice League ride that's in like Six Flags Parks. Those 4D simulator things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Battle for Metropolis. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, Lex Luthor is capturing members of the Justice League, and the Joker is sort of, like, causing general chaos throughout the city. Yeah. Why is the line for that ride always so long? Because, <laughs> I don't know, it, it doesn't have uh, a good throughput. No. It does have a cool animatronic. They though. also work together in the Justice League uh, cartoon. Mm-hmm. I know there's a... There's like a, a one episode specifically where it's sort of a, the same deal as where like Joker is causing general mayhem while like Lex Luthor is using that as a distraction to do other things. Yeah. I mean, they're both in the society of supervillains. Yeah. Right? Yeah, they are. They're in the light in Young Justice. I don't know if together. Joker is in the light. I know that Lex Luthor is in the light. Yeah. Huh. I'm going to cover that later because I have the uh, in other media appearances of Lex Luthor. All right. Well, let me get into it. Though. Yeah, let's get into his comic background. So here is the origin of Lex in the Silver Age comics. Okay. So from a young age, it was clear that Lex Luthor was brilliant and talented. And in the Silver Age, we meet teenage Lex, who is an aspiring scientist and also Superboy's number one fan. <laughs> Lex convinces his parents to even move to Smallville so he can be closer to his hero. And he makes a shrine out of souvenirs stolen from Superboy's adventures. <laughs> Their bromance intensifies when Lex saves Superboy from kryptonite and shows him his shrine. And instead of calling the police, Superboy <laughs> is impressed and he builds Lex a private laboratory that they can make out in. I mean, I mean, for Lex to do experiments in. <laughs> and after one amazing experiment where Lex creates an artificial life form, the genius gets overexcited and accidentally causes a chemical fire that Superboy thankfully puts out although not before the chemical fumes cause Lex to lose all of his hair. The artificial life form is destroyed, and Lex, unable to comprehend his mistake, decides that Superboy was the one who started the fire because he was jealous of Lex's success. Wow. And the young, bald scientist swears lifelong revenge on the hero he once worshipped. Wow. And this, this is Golden Age, too. Like, this is Golden Age and Silver Age background. Not really. Okay. Golden Age Lex... Actually has a different name and like he doesn't really have an origin. He just sort of like shows up and is like committing crimes. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is like the you, this is Silver Age Lex was the first one who was like, I love Superboy. Okay. I'm his biggest fan. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and then there was a couple other origins. He gets a new origin in New 52. I'm not really going to get into that, though. But okay. I like this origin the best, which is why I decided to cover it. Okay, okay. Um, so instead of going through a bunch of different things, I'm just going to tell you about some notable Lex storylines. And they're not in any sort of chronological order. I think mm. they're in like a vague chronological order. Okay. But 
here we go. So towards the end of the Silver Age, Lex and Superman battle on a distant planet orbiting a red star where Lex knows Superman will be depowered. And Lex befriends the planet's inhabitants, helping them discover lost technology and restoring their water supply and getting their civilization up and running again. Hmm. Uh, the people then start to revere Lex as their hero and they grow to detest Superman for trying to, <laughs> you know, punch him to death. <laughs> so to honor Superman, the planet is renamed Lexor uh, and becomes a second home where Lex eventually falls in love and marries a woman named Andorra. Wait, is this some sort of Elf- Elseworlds tale? No, Lex canonically has a planet in the Silver Age. <laughs> in the Silver It's his age. second home that he goes to in between like capers. Oh, that's wild. And he has a wife there. <laughs> I think that's it's kid crazy. at one point. Yeah. At one point, Lex teams up with his counterpart from... Earth 2. Earth 1? Earth 2. Golden Age 1. Yes. Yeah. Earth 2. Uh, whose name is Alexei Luthor. And they try to form a supergroup with Earth 3's Alexander Luthor. However, when he turns out to be a good person, <laughs> they instead extend their invitation of villainy to Ultraman, Superman's evil Earth 3 counterpart. Oh, that's cool. They form like a big thing. And I think they get taken down by uh, Earth 1 and 2 Superman, as well as Alexander Luthor from Earth 3. So it's like a big, <laughs> big showdown. <laughs> Uh, man, I love the Earth 3 stuff mm-hmm. where it's like all the bad guys are good guys and all the good guys are bad guys. <laughs> uh, post-crisis, Lex discovers that the cyborg, Metallo, ooh. Ooh, uh, has a heart of kryptonite. And he steals it to create a kryptonite ring that makes him untouchable to Superman. Unfortunately, wearing the ring for a prolonged period of time causes Lex to suffer from radiation poisoning. And near death, Lex stages a plane crash in the Andes and has his brain transferred into a cloned body um, that is hotter and younger than he previously was with a full head of hair. And when he returns home, he passes himself off as Lex's illegitimate son from Australia, Lex Luthor II. (laughs) However, Lex's clone body does eventually begin to deteriorate quickly, but he is given the offer to be restored to full health by the demon lord Neron in exchange for his soul, and Lex, not believing in souls, agrees. (laughs) And he gets restored to full health. Okay, so Lex Luthor lives in a world in which magic is real, because Zatanna exists, Doctor Fate exists, uh, Etrigan the Demon exists. I don't so know if he like, just doesn't believe be in souls, or if he just doesn't believe that he has a soul, or if he just doesn't care. He's like, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> I, I didn't write it down, but what happens later is like Neron gets defeated by Captain Marvel, the real one, uh-huh. and he like has to like give Lex's soul back, and then I don't know, some other magic happens, and Lex is able to like keep his body. That's... And also he has a soul back. Okay, that's yeah. wild. It is wild. That's wild. Uh, so Lex also marries a different woman. I don't know what happens to Andorra. I guess maybe she gets written out because this is after crisis. I was going to say, this is post-crisis, yeah. so she would have ceased to exist. Yes. So he marries a different woman, this time a royal named Contessa Erica Alexandra del pa- Portenza. Oh, wow. Yeah. The two have a daughter named Lena, uh, and Lex, no longer needing to be tied down, has his wife seemingly killed. Oh, jeez. She's also, like, kind of an immortal... I, all I saw was that he, like, thinks that she's dead. But she's not important to the story. Okay. Um, so later, Metropolis is visited by a time-traveling Brainiac 13, as well as the present-day Brainiac, who needs a new vessel and inhabits Lex's daughter. So Lex's Whoa. daughter Lena as Brainiac inside of her. 
Brainiac 13 makes an offer to Lex that he can have control over a bunch of technology from the future if present-day Brainiac can have Lena as his vessel. Oh. Lex thinks it over for all of two seconds before agreeing, later telling Superman, quote, as for my princess, I can always make another. Oh my gosh. He's so heartless. What a cold-hearted jerk. I know. I hate it. Uh, So... Later, after the previous administration's mishandling of a little uh, snafu that you may have heard of on this podcast one or a hundred times, known as the earthquake in Gotham. Oh! Of No Man's Land. Oh, No Man's Land. Josh has been reading for the last, I don't know, eight or nine years. (laughs) (laughs) The American people then elect Lex Luthor as president in the early 2000s. Hmm. Uh, Leadership of LexCorp is then turned over to Talia Al Ghul, so we know that's in good hands. (laughs) Uh, and Lex spends his time in office wisely, trying to discover the identities of Batman and Superman and ordering hits on people they love. That's oh, mostly what he does in office. Jeez. Did you want to talk at all about uh, Public Enemies, which is sort of an adaptation of these storylines? Yeah. Public, Superman, Batman, Public Enemies, which is an animated film from the mid-2000s, uh, it's not a direct adaptation of it. In it, Lex Luthor becomes president, but uh, he doesn't try and kill the people close to Superman and Batman. He just frames Superman and Batman for like a crime and then uses the power of the US government to like try and apprehend them. Mm. Uh, he, he stages like that they killed Metallo. And that again, that's like another reason why I have on, it on my mind is because I just saw this movie. And uh, yeah, so he stages like he makes it look like Superman killed Metallo. And then that's how he sort of justifies like being like, okay, warrant out for Superman. He needs to be put away. He's not allowed to do superhero stuff anymore or else we'll try and get him. Interesting. He gets, he, that ties in with sort of the, the ring that makes him crazy or make, ring that gives him cancer. Yeah. The in, kryptonite ring. Exactly. Yeah. In, in Superman, Batman, public enemies, kryptonite, like radiation from the kryptonite sort of makes him go like nuts. And so he has like a kryptonite infused, uh, like steroid that he injects into himself to become super buff to try and like fight Superman. (laughs) And he also wants a giant meteor to hit the earth uh, to like wipe out a lot of the population so that humanity can evolve or something. (laughs) And he wants to like be the leader of the new world that arises out of the ashes. Interesting. Yeah, it's a a wild movie and ends with a giant composite Superman, which is like half Superman, half Batman robot that like flies into space and punches a big rock. (laughs) Are you surprised at all that um, faced with the earthquake in Gotham that people would choose to elect Lex Luthor as their president? Not really. I mean, reading No Man's Land right now, it's it's pretty much widely regarded by the public as a sort of heartless move. Um, it's sort of one of those things where I think it's like the president's supporters like support it only because they support the president and and but like the news media coverage and just the coverage of and like people coming out of Gotham and sharing their stories is enough to kind of like wake people up about like hey it might have been a bad idea to cordon off a city and like condemn it as a as like a war zone Mm -hmm. it's the DC version of Flint still doesn't have clean water yeah Mm -hmm. yeah pretty much Mm -hmm. 
Well, I've got one more storyline to talk about, and it's my favorite post-New 52 storyline that I found involving Lex. Okay. Um, He discovers that the crime syndicate's Earth has been destroyed by an anti-monitor, and wanting to ensure that his Earth is not threatened next... So, okay, crime syndicate, Earth 3. Earth 3. Yeah. Yeah. So... They've been destroyed by an anti-monitor. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. Okay. Big space entity. And not wanting to ensure that his Earth is not threatened next, Lex requests membership to join the Justice League. And while some members are skeptical about his newfound goodness, it is decided that it will be easier to keep an eye on Lex if he is a member. <laughs> so Lex joins the Justice League. And while in the Justice League, he dons a high-tech war suit and also builds a new watchtower for them. Oh, wow. What a guy. Wow. Yeah. Does he does he have to uh, stave off an attack from like interdimensional beings ever? Or? I think so. Probably. Oh, okay. Why would he have joined? Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to talk about Lex Luthor in other media. Mm-hmm. Perhaps, perhaps most famously, I guess, depending on which decade you were born in, uh, he was portrayed by Gene Hackman in the 1970s Superman movies. And this was a more comedic take on the character. He's a vain, pompous real estate mogul, and Mm. he's portrayed a bit more campy than some of the other interpretations that we see of Lex. Uh, Probably because the 70s was so close to the 60s television series, so they still thought, you know, like, campy superheroes work. Yeah, and they did to an extent. Yeah, they did. Uh, he was portrayed by Kevin Spacey in 2006's Superman Returns. A real villain. <laughs> yeah. Very real, well cast. A real life villain. Uh, and this version is a bit more serious and has a bitter attitude, although he maintains the backstory of being a real estate mogul. Hmm. I think the 2006 movie is supposed to take place in the same continuity as all the 70s movies. Okay. I haven't seen it, hmm. uh, but it seems like there's a lot of parallels between them. I think they are probably just trying to, like, recapture the magic. Okay. What's with all these movies with the villain being a real estate mogul? <laughs> like, that's the same as... Uh, what, Wonder Woman? Wonder Woman 84. Isn't he, like, an oil tycoon, though? No, not really. He's... I don't know what he's... He's running, like, a pyramid scheme in the beginning of that movie, isn't he? <laughs> Pretty much. I don't know. I mean, the 70s was kind of, like, before <laughs> Trump as, like, a cultural figure. Yeah. But I have to think that that's, like, an influence... Or was an influence. I mean, there, there's plenty of real estate moguls that have been, like, portrayed as... Why don't people like real estate less, moguls? Less than moral. Is it because they work with the mob? Uh, no, people hate landlords. Oh, that's true. That's <laughs> universal. Okay. Uh, and also in the critically panned Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice... I Jesse, know somebody who likes it. Jesse Eisenberg assumes the role... Uh, which is now reinterpreted as a millennial tech mogul, sort of similar to like a Steve Jobs or uh, Mark Zuckerberg. I guess more like Mark Zuckerberg. Also played uh, by Jesse Eisenberg. Who, who has socio and psychopathic tendencies. Honestly, okay. Jesse Eisenberg as Mark Zuckerberg was probably my favorite performance of his career. I love uh-huh. that movie. I will watch it anytime it's on. Uh-huh. Um and I just feel like if he had maybe just tapped into that a little bit more for Lex, it wouldn't have been quite... You don't think that he tapped into that for Lex? Because I thought that he was channeling that character. Too much. Too much? It's so, like everything else in that movie, it's just way, way too over the top. But you know what? I was arguing this earlier this week uh, about something unrelated. Is, you know, a bad movie is not usually the fault of, like, just the director or just an actor. Mm-hmm. Usually... 
usually a lot of the blame can be put on the screenwriter. Mm-hmm. And if they are also the director, that just sort of like doubles down on the badness. <laughs> so there you go. That's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. You Jesse Eisenberg is have... a very talented actor. <laughs> you just don't think that Superman, sorry, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice was his, one of his best performances. No, not at all. It's very strange. But you know what? I've been there. Sometimes, some days, you just gotta, you know, get on set, get on stage, and say the words that you're being paid to say, and do what the director wants you to do, and just pick up that paycheck. That's all you gotta do. My wife likes shoes. My wife likes shoes. Uh, So I'm gonna move into television now, and surprisingly, the character never appeared in the 1950s Adventures of Superman series. Weird. Yeah, despite being, like, one of Superman's main villains, he didn't appear in that 50s television series. Uh, which, again, like, that television series was more down-to-earth because they had limited budget, so it would have made a whole lot more sense to have a regular guy like Lex Luthor be a villain in it. Anyway, uh, in the Lois and Clark, the New Adventures of Superman 90s television series, he's portrayed by John Shea. In the season one finale, he jumps off a building rather than face imprisonment, and is then revived by a scientist in season two. Ooh. And that revival causes his hair to fall out, but it only lasts a year and his hair comes back. Okay. Uh, season three sees him break out of jail with some sort of convoluted clone plot, uh, including cloning the president to give him a pardon. <laughs> it sounds like the actor was tired of either shaving his head or having to spend the morning in a makeup kit. In chair a makeup kit, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the bald cap. So a teenage version of Luther is played by Michael Rosenbaum in Smallville. This may be uh, like one of the other like most famous portrayals of him. I've seen a couple episodes of Smallville. I uh-huh. don't necessarily remember Lex all that much. So this version mirrors a bit of the Superboy history where he's a schoolmate and a friend of Clark Kent. He's pushed into business by his father And this version also uses clones for shenanigans in the later seasons of the television series after he turns against Clark. Mm. So it's sort of similar to what happened in the Superboy comic books where there's like an event where Lex Luthor blames Superman for like bad things that happened to him. So he switches sides and like basically turns against Superman. Mm -hmm. Uh, John Cryer portrays Lex in the Arrowverse Supergirl television series. In the Super Friends cartoon, he heads the Legion of Doom, which is one of the main antagonist groups of that uh, series. And Clancy Brown portrays a character in the DC animated universe, as well as most of the DC movies from the 2000s and the 2010s. Mr. Krabs. Yeah. Do you have, I don't think you have on here, the other person who plays Lex, who I kind of like a lot. Okay. No disrespect to Mr. Clancy Brown. Big fan. Okay. Uh, Rain Wilson plays Lex in a bunch of those uh, DC animated movies as well. <laughs> and it's like if Dwight from The Office like literally did become a supervillain like he's supposed to be. <laughs> it's very similar kind of cadence to his voice. So anyway, the, the version in the DC animated universe is more of a behind the scenes adversary to Superman. He usually works with other villains, uh, but never leaves enough evidence to send him to jail. Mm -hmm. So throughout the entire run of the Superman animated series, he doesn't get actually like captured for committing the crimes that he does because he works his way around it as like a connected businessman. 
In the Justice League television series, though, he regains his origins as like a mad scientist bent on destroying Superman because his crimes are exposed by the Justice League. And so he has to revert to more super villainous ways to carry out plans against Superman. Uh, he founds the Injustice Gang and then builds a suit that stops the spread of the cancer he got from his kryptonite ring. Yeah, continuity. Is, yeah, exactly. Also a plot line in the comics. In the Justice League Unlimited series, he becomes the main antagonist as he runs for president, again, mm -hmm. pulling from the comics, and heads up a secret government project to build metahumans to eradicate the Justice League, which is Project Cadmus. And then that Project Cadmus storyline gets brought again in Young Justice, where he's voiced by Mark Rolston, and the character is uh, part of the group The Light, which believe that superheroes' presence prevents disaster, and that in turn prevents the human race from evolving. Which again pulls from that, uh, like Superman, Batman, Public Enemies. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of um, you know a lot of continuity, a lot of established storylines that sort of get recycled, reused throughout Lex's history. He's also uh, Superboy's dad. New Superboy. New dad. Superboy's dad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Su Superboy that is made from Lex and Clark's DNA. Hot. <laughs> A dream come true for young Lex. Some other people who have uh, voiced Lex is John DiMaggio, uh, James Woods, Will Friedel, and Giancarlo Esposito. Will Friedel. Yeah. It's uh, Terry. Terry. Bat oh, Batman. yeah, Terry, Terry, Terry McGinnis from mm -hmm. Batman Beyond. Mm -hmm. Cool. Who do you think does the voice best? Every time I read something in the comic books where he's talking, it's Clancy Brown. Yeah, same. Because it's, you know, from the animated series. Yeah. They're, they're just the iconic voices. Mm -hmm. I hear Kevin Conroy when I hear, you know, when I'm thinking of Batman. I hear, uh, what is it, Phil Lamar for the Jon Stewart Green Lantern. Yeah. They're just like the iconic voices. Mm -hmm. I think, doesn't Phil Lamar also do uh, Martian Manhunter, I want to say? Maybe. Mm, no, that's Carl Lum Lumbly. Oh, yeah, no, Carl Lumbly, who was also in um, the Falcon and Winter Soldier this year as uh, Black Captain America. I'm liking <laughs> on the character's name. But he has a, a really great role in that. And I was like, yeah, John yeah. Jones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just like, and and that coupled with the fact, like, yes, they were on the animated series for like a decade. And they also were in a lot of the movies that got made, like the direct-to-video movies. So, you know, I just heard them so much. And the characters like matched up with their voices so much that that's just what I associate it with. Mm -hmm. Same. I agree. Uh, I think that's all I have. Yeah, that's all I have on the other appearances of, of Lex Luthor. Great. He's a, he's a versatile character. He gets used in storylines when there needs to be, like, global uh, intrigue and, like, larger schemes going on. He's sort of a, the Moriarty to Superman. I feel like Moriarty is as smart as Sherlock is, whereas Lex never wins and can't win, and it's never one step ahead. But Lex is supposedly has genius level intelligence. We didn't really go over like what his powers are. It's like I would argue that Batman is the Moriarty to Superman. Sherlock. Batman doesn't orchestrate things to uh, like annoy Superman, though. Sometimes, like <laughs> like Lex does. Dark Knight Returns. I guess so. I think when Batman and Superman are adversaries, 
that's that's a closer okay uh no because moriarty sets up like crimes that are not connected to him mostly but he's set in place he's set in motion i guess so he's the macavity (laughs) (laughs) the mystery cat yeah he's the napoleon of crime (laughs) okay yes is there anything else you'd like to say about Lex Luthor before we sign off? He bald. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, did you want to share about the animated series Lex Luthor that you had thought that he was, uh, he was like black? Yeah, I was looking at pictures and I was like, how brave. Isn't They should really cast another black man to play Lex Luthor. And then, I don't know, we Googled it and there was a bunch of articles of fans online being like, Lex isn't black in the animated series. And then we found something that says that he's based on a Greek actor who... Played in like spy movies or something. Yeah. And if you look at them side by side, you can definitely see the like resemblance. So Mm -hmm. they also helpfully showed there's like an image from the animated series of Lex standing next to an actually black character who, Uh you know. Looks a lot. Contrast. Oh, he could be mixed. He could be mixed. He could be light skin. But he's probably but Greek and based on the Greek supposed actor. Supposed to be Greek. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Um, cast a black man as Lex Luthor 2022. That's what I think. Idris Elba would be good. <laughs> Idris Elba isn't too much. No, he's also, not. Also, Idris Elba is already in the DC universe as uh, Bloodsport now. Is he? Oh, yeah. No, you're right. That's true. (laughs) Well, with our discussion of Lex Luthor finished, uh, we're going to sign off. This has been Batmates. We are a couple who loves each other. Mm -hmm. And we love you, listener. Oh, yeah. Especially if you're one of our listeners in Cameroon, where apparently we are the 11th most popular comedy podcast. (laughs) You can send us emails at our email, batmatespodcast at gmail.com. You can DM us on Twitter or tweet at us at Batmates. And you can also... Uh, leave a review. Leave a review. And if you leave a five-star review, we will read it on air. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for listening, everybody. And have a great weekend. Have a good week. And week also. Both <laughs> of them. Have a good all time. All the times. Bye. Psst. Hey, listeners. This is Josh here in the editing bay. Here's a little tidbit that Becca didn't cover during her Rogue Roundup. Lex Luthor's full name in the Silver Age was Alexis Luthor. It got revealed in a 1980 comic that happened just before Crisis on Infinite Earths. And then after the Crisis on Infinite Earths, his full name is Alexander Luthor.